Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner could be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. some stargazing last night we did because we're cool that way yeah well um so the day we're recording this is the day after jupiter was at its closest to the earth in 50 plus years i want to say it was like a hundred and something wasn't it yeah with the sun shining directly on it so that it uh you get a nice view of it and it was one of the brightest objects in the sky last night and our sun noted that i had an old telescope it's packed up. It's on a shelf in the basement. And uh, some months ago, he had asked what it was. And I explained, it's a telescope. You look at the stars and, and the moon and stuff with it. And he was like, cool, can we do that? And I was like, uh, not in the middle of summer. <laughs> because the sun goes down very late in the middle of the summer. Yeah. And right around that time, he also sparked a great interest in like space and the planets. Yeah. Right? So we wanted to encourage that. Yeah. So finally... With Jupiter in the news because of its closeness to the Earth and how visible it was going to be, and with the sun going down at a relatively early hour, I uh, took down the telescope and set it all up, and we took it out to the the hill in the park behind our house, and uh, we managed to get a pretty good view, actually. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. You could see it with the naked eye. Like, obviously not details, right? But there was this really bright spot in the sky. Yep. And we looked at it through the telescope, and it was a slightly bigger bright spot in the sky. Uh, you could you could make out a little bit of detail, and you could see some of its moons uh, yeah, as little cool. stars next to it. Yeah, so that was pretty neat. We had a little family time out in the park. The kids got to stay up well past their bedtimes. Yes, but a rare stargazing opportunity. Finally fulfilled G's wish to uh, look through the telescopes. So. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I imagine we'll be doing that again at some point. Probably. Uh, I promised him next time we have a good view of the moon because it's basically a new moon last night. Yeah, there's so a there's, tiny sliver. There's no moon really to look at right now. Uh, so I promised him next time we get a good view of the moon, we'll we'll go and take a look at the surface of the moon because uh, my telescope can get a pretty good look at the moon. Yeah. So a couple weeks from now, we'll be probably doing it again. Yeah. But at any rate, that's uh, that's nothing to do with the book whatsoever. <laughs> Just a little bit of... Uh, just a little bit of uh, of us. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of what's going on with us. That's true. But I guess we'll we'll get into the book uh, with a brief recap of chapter one of our novel in which uh, we get introduced to Dr. Addie Cox, a professor of literature at X University. <laughs> I don't think we found out which university she teaches at. No, we didn't. We just found out in this current chapter where she is at all. Yeah. And uh, she meets with a student. Uh, gives him some pointers on his midterm plans, and then gets made an offer she can't easily refuse from an eccentric billionaire and makes her way to a car. And that is where we find her at the beginning of chapter two of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. 
Dr. Cox makes her way out of the arts building or, or whichever annex she's uh, working yeah. out of. One would assume the English department. Yeah. Right? And finds a vehicle parked in the like drive that's only meant for university vehicles. Yeah. Like the maintenance throughway kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, of course there's a giant limo parked right where it shouldn't be. Yep. Because that is the kind of billionaire we're dealing with here. Absolutely. And the nameless assistant <laughs> steps out of the vehicle and opens the door. Who remains nameless. Yep. Not important enough to have a name at this time. I guess. She invites Dr. Cox into the vehicle, and uh, Addie actually has this moment where she reiterates something that you had said last chapter, which is like, is this a good idea? Should I be getting into this yeah. car and going to a mysterious this location? This is not a good idea. She should not be getting into a mysterious car and going to a mysterious location. But she goes, well, you know, there is this big donation, and I can't say no to that. So she gets in the car. And she immediately- She should have at least told someone where she was going. I mean, probably. But at any rate, she is like, so what's this about? And is basically just told, wait until we get to where we're going. Everything will be explained to you then. Uh, and she gets taken to a nice hotel, actually. Yes, the big fancy. Okay, and this is where we find out that she is in Boulder. And I yes. assume that it is Boulder, Colorado. One would presume. That's yes. the only Boulder that comes to mind off the top of my head. Yes. There are probably multiple Boulders. I'm going to assume- Colorado. It is a fancy hotel. She's a little relieved because it means that she's unlikely to be murdered at this time. <laughs> because there will at least be other witnesses and strangers in the hotel. You can't see me put my face in my hands, but I've put my face in my hands because you do just don't get into mysterious cars. But at the same time, I mean, Addie's in a position where she legitimately is like, why would I be kidnapped by mysterious suited people? Like... Yes, I know. Still. It's not like she owes money to the mob. <laughs> well, we don't know that. Presumably. It's just, look, I am aware of the world that we live in. And women should not just do mysterious things like this. We're taught to protect ourselves better than that. Fair enough. And and you're right. She should have at least told someone else in the English department. I'm taking a meeting in this limousine. I'm I may or may to, not come yeah, back. I'm going to a meeting. Please note, I am at a meeting that has been called by Harris Lang, the billionaire, apparently. If I go missing, look into that. Yes, please. Please call the police. Please. So having arrived at the hotel, Addie and the mysterious assistant uh, get into the elevator and head up to like a penthouse suite. The kind of uh, suite where you get off of the elevator into the suite. Yes, where it's just the floor. And is immediately met by two other people. One is Harris Lang, the Steve Jobsian <laughs> billionaire. Yes. Who has called this meeting. And the other is a large, heavyset guy with broad shoulders who looks military. Right. And immediately puts Addie on edge. And we will learn that this is uh, Captain Torres. Yes. And he is a mercenary, a real life, honest to God mercenary. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Okay. So we have we have all the makings here. We have a mysterious drive to a fancy hotel, a crazy luxurious suite. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, right? Mm -hmm. Who's now a mercenary, an overly eccentric billionaire. He has way too much time on his hands, obviously. We have a nameless assistant and an English professor. What kind of messed up stew is this? I mean, we're going to find out what kind of messed up stew this is. We're also going to have some of our assumptions from just the first chapter immediately dashed. Oh, agreed. Uh, also, this is very Jurassic Park. Did oh. you not get strong Jurassic Park vibes from I mean, this chapter? I believe I called this fantasy Jurassic Park when we- No, but specifically this chapter- 
felt like very Jurassic Park. Kind of. You get a lot of John Hammond vibes yes. from, from Lang, for yes. sure. Yes, thank you. That is a much better way I, of putting he, it. He all but says, spared no expense. <laughs> but at any rate, basically... Addie, who's immediately feeling out of place, is like, so what exactly is going on? And Lang doesn't really dither too much on this point. He does admit at first that he's not used to talking about his top secret project publicly, so it takes him a second to build up to it, but then he kind of goes just into it. Well, it's not like he's talking publicly. No. He is letting someone else in on it. Yeah, and she had to sign non-disclosure agreements in the car, by the way. We forgot to mention Oh, yeah, the important paperwork was an NDE. Basically, he starts showing her photos. He's like, take a look at this. And she's like, wow, this is all very impressive CGI. And he's like, it's not CGI. What you're looking at is an actual castle in a rainforest and an actual unicorn and a real life dragon. And she's like, that's impossible. And he's like, nothing is impossible with science. Okay, this, I actually took a little bit of issue with this because the description in the book is, well, yeah, it looked real. And she just accepts that. Like, it's it's kind of glossed over. He's like, no, it's a real unicorn. This is a real dragon. Oh, okay. What? The man has performed a scientific miracle. Yes, but here's the reason why I think that she's credulous in this moment. It is because he's very, very rich and he has already done amazing things with his technology. And him showing her these very realistic photos and him saying to her with a straight face, I have made a magical island using high technology. I think that she believes him in this moment. She's like, this is at least plausible enough that I'm willing to buy into it this much. And she even admits kind of at the end that if nothing else, she's curious if this is a real thing. (laughs) It's true. If nothing else, she wants to go see a unicorn. Yeah. Like this, if there is the chance that he has genetically engineered a unicorn, I want to see that unicorn. (laughs) Um, So I, I believe that that's why she's buying in at this moment, because based on who she's talking to, it's not impossible. And we know it's not impossible because we know what the rest of the book is about. I get it. Yeah. I just Like if she if she doesn't buy in at this juncture, there is no story. <laughs> exactly. No, I I get it. This is all moving the plot forward. I'm just saying I think she should have been more wowed and impressed. I think that would have given it a little more realism. I mean, she was kind of wowed and impressed, but it was mitigated by the other facts of what's going on because yeah. she's immediately like if this is true, this is amazing. Your little wonder island, which by the way, Insula Mirabilis uh does in fact translate to basically the wonderful island. She says that in the chapter and I'm disappointed because I looked it up and, <laughs> and then, I was going to be like, I'm a smarty pants. she immediately pants. translated. But she immediately translated it. <laughs> Scott was like, oh. But she's she's really impressed, but then it gets mitigated almost immediately when it's explained, but we've lost control of this. Someone in the production team or the entire production team, we don't know, has gone rogue. We've lost contact with the island. We can't get views of it. And a Coast Guard cutter ran into an invisible force field and sank. Ten hands were lost. And she's like, that's pretty terrible. Yeah, so basically there was some kind of mutiny. Yeah. And this is where it gets very Jurassic Park again. He's like, so the plan is, we've got Captain Torres here in his mercenary unit. They're going to go in, and they're going to try to figure out what's going on on the island. And maybe confront it. Because we want to get control of it back. And she's like, well, why don't you just call the police? And he's like, "Mm, we don't want to call the police. They don't want to get the government or anybody involved because then the cat's out of the bag. And further to that, he might lose control of it or he might lose control of the narrative. And that would hurt the opening of his basically amusement park, right? 
Yeah. There's your Jurassic Park feels again. I, I know. So Also, the Coast Guard has already tried, and their boat sunk, and 10 people died. And presumably, he's like moving heaven and earth to keep that on the DL at the moment. One would assume. Yeah. So they need to move quick before this gets out. And she's like, cool beans, why am I here? And it's like, well, number one, we kind of want a literature professor on board because you might be able to help the mercenary team navigate their way through a fantasy world. So there's that. Number two, your ex-boyfriend might be involved. This is another part of the chapter that I took issue with. Yeah, so... Like, we get a hint of the ex-boyfriend earlier on in the chapter because she thinks, I actually saw him at a talk, this Harris Lane guy, years ago because my ex-boyfriend, who's obsessed with this guy, wanted to go see him talk and dragged me along. It was fine, whatever. And here's where we get a little more detail on Dominic Brand, her ex-boyfriend. Apparently, he got hired by Lang sometime after this talk that he had seen. Ended up in charge of this project, which kind of tracks because apparently he's a big nerd. He and uh, Addy went to Ren Fairs and stuff. He's into science and is a very good scientist himself because he developed the force field technology that immediately makes him suspect number one because the force field technology is now surrounding the island and just sank a Coast Guard boat. Yep. So they're like, that kind of points to him as the bad guy here. And we need someone who can maybe talk to him and maybe talk him down if he's doing something crazy. And Addy's like, that tracks. But not exactly comfortable going into a situation with a bunch of armed mercenaries because she was the victim of a school shooting. Yeah. And now we know where that trauma from the first chapter comes yeah. from. We had been like, maybe she's ex-military. That might be why she's tapped to be part of a mercenary unit. Turns out we were completely wrong. No, they want her because of her connection to Dominic, which is fair enough. I think her being an English professor is an added bonus for them. Yeah. And I hated up and down how Addie was treated in this chapter. How she's treated by Lang, yes. I will say, and I got this vibe from Torres, he was actually a little bit more empathetic and sympathetic to her. He's a soldier. He's probably been through something similar. Yeah, but like you'd expect that the big gruff soldier guy would probably be a little brusque, but it's actually Lang, and perhaps unsurprisingly, the, the tech genius billionaire who's really disconnected from her feelings on anything. And Torres is the one who repeatedly like steps in yeah. To, like, stop him from talking or to, like, soft pedal something to Addy. So that's why Torres came across a lot more likable in this chapter, which surprised me. I would have expected yep. the mercenary captain to not be the likable one. <laughs> Agreed. It was horrible. It was almost hard to read. Hi, I'm going to vaguely talk about this thing I need you to do, tell you I need you, and then recite your trauma to you. And then ask you for a favor? This guy is the worst. It's awful. He is being downright cruel to Addie. I hated it. You don't do that to somebody. How awful. Yeah, and I mean, it rubs Addie the wrong way enough that she's very reticent to take the job. But ultimately, her curiosity kind of wins her over. Number one, she kind of wants to see this miraculous island. Number two, she wants to know what's up with Dominic if he is indeed behind this mutiny. It's just that he went about it all wrong. Oh, absolutely. Like, this is not how you treat someone when you want them to do something for you. Harris Lang is very socially awkward guy. Clearly. He's got that disconnect that being ultra-rich gives you to other people. You, you can't really connect with regular people when you're that rich and that insulated. 
Uh huh. You're breathing rarefied air and you no longer speak the language of anybody else. And that's just, I mean, take a look at any real life billionaire. I know, I know. Still just awful, though. Yeah. It's terrible. Uh, but that's where the chapter ends with her basically being like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, to his credit, Taurus is like, look, we'll protect you as best we can. We'll try to deal with the situation as nonviolently as we can. But we kind of need you because you might be able to stop this. He doesn't say this outright, but what he's saying is you might be able to help us stop this without violence. Yes, which is a good reason to have her along. If I were her, I still might not go. But you're not her, and also... I know, then, then there would be no plot. There I would know. be no story. This is why I haven't been cast in this story. I get it. There you go. So I'm going to... I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and do some wild freewheeling chapter two speculation <laughs> on the rest of the book. All right. Now, this got me in a little bit of trouble last book because I was like, you know, obvious villain is maybe too obvious. And last book, the obvious villain was the villain. Despite the fact that it was obvious. Yes. But this book, I'm going to once again go, is obvious villain too obvious? I would agree with you this time. I think obvious villain is too obvious. I think there's something more to it. I agree. So just follow my train of thought here. I have three kind of possibilities lined up at the moment for where this is going. Number one, Dominic is the real villain. He has gone power mad with the technology he has access to. He's now fancying himself an evil wizard overlord. And he's controlling the island because he can. Whatever. Sure. That seems the obvious direction. Yeah. Like, too obvious direction. The second option is that he's not the obvious villain. Someone else on the island is actually behind the mutiny, is using Dominic's technology so it looks like him, and he's ultimately going to be part of the solution to the problem. The third option is that Dominic is behind the mutiny, but the mutiny doesn't have an obvious reason for happening. That's where my brain went. Yeah. Is that this is not a mutiny against Lang. This is uh, a mutiny to protect something or someone else. Oh, no. I'm going to go... I'm going to take you one step back. This is a mutiny against Lang, but it's for good reasons. Yeah, sorry. Yes. That's that's more... That's what I should have said. That's what I meant yeah. to say. Dominic has maybe fallen in love with this fantasy land and wants to protect it because Lang has pretty or, pretty terrible capitalistic plans for it. Or they've discovered something incredibly dangerous and realized that they can't open this park. They must seal this park for the safety of the rest of the world. Quite like probably. maybe let's not let dragons out into the world? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe? And that's the one that I'm hitting on is the most likely is that the mutiny's real, but there's a different motivation behind it. We just don't know what that motivation is yet. And that's yeah. going to be part of the mystery. We unlock. That maybe Dominic's the good guy trying to do good things. And or Lang, at least, and Lang is just pushing capitalism at all costs. Or at least thinks he's the good guy doing good things. Could be. Yeah. There could be some moral ambiguity there. Sometimes. Ten we, people are dead. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes <laughs> the, the best villains are the ones who think they're the heroes. Right? Yeah. And Harris Lang definitely thinks he's a hero. So, huzzah. He's too much of a jerk to be a hero. Uh, not in his mind. I know. He's he's saving the world through we're not high talking, technology. We're not talking about his mind. It's true. We're talking about my mind. At any rate, we'll we'll probably find out what's going on as we get through the book. So again, this is just irresponsible <laughs> second chapter freewheel yeah. speculation. This chapter had a lot of exposition in it, and it comes at you really fast. And I, I do kind of wish that the chapter had been a little bit longer so that it could be fleshed out a little bit 
better. Did you feel that way or just me? Like, I felt I was rushed through all this exposition so that we can hurry up and get to the action. Like, tell me more about this island. Let's have an actual proper conversation with Torres. Let's meet him as a character. Stuff like that. We didn't We didn't get because it felt like, like we were just pushing through. Like, here's what you need to know. Let's get to the action. I disagree because we don't get to any action in this chapter. <laughs> well, that's just it. We have to shove it all in this in this chapter so we can start again. Right? I, I'm not certain that that's necessarily going to be the case because we don't know what's in the next chapter. This is just her getting pitched on joining the mission. Next chapter, we might actually sit down and get to know the mercenaries that she's going to be going on the mission with and getting a proper briefing, which would be more exposition. And I actually think that the exposition in this chapter is perfunctory because of that, because Lang isn't trying to sell her on the island. He's trying to sell her on the mission. Right. But to sell her on the mission, shouldn't he also try to sell her on the island? I mean, she, like, he inf- showed her real photos. I'm talking about informed consent. This is the island I built. This is what it's like. This is what it does. This is what I need you to do. He does do that. But he just Not doesn't really. He doesn't go into deep detail because she doesn't need the deep detail right now. And he doesn't want to give her all the deep details if she's going to say no to the mission. If yeah, she, but wouldn't if he, giving her the details sell her on the mission and make her more likely to say yes? He already sold her on the mission. He doesn't need to tell her anything else. And remember, mm. he's being very secretive about his project. I know. So he's giving her what she needs to know before she says yes. It probably just stems back to, I don't like how he's handling this at all. And he's not handling it well. No. But he's also a stressed billionaire who wants to get his island back. Okay, fine. I just, the whole thing felt really rushed to me. And personally, I would have preferred a little more fleshing out of what he had created. And we might still get it. And that is fine. But I think I just would like it sooner. That's all. Also, I mean... And this is this is entirely a structural thing. This is this is me oh, going a thousand percent. Yes. This is me going Doyleist versus Watsonian. It's been a while since I've used those terms. For those of you who don't recognize them, Doyleist versus Watsonian is what the author's intent is versus what the in-universe intent is. Yes. Because Watson and Doyle are both technically the narrators of Sherlock Holmes, but one is in-universe and one is meta. The Watsonian reason why we get this perfunctory information is because Lang doesn't think telling her anything else is important. He just wants to get her to buy in enough that she agrees to the mission, and he's not a people person. The Doylist answer is that Carrie Vaughn wants to save some surprises for us when we get to the island. If she lays everything out ahead of time, we're not going to get that sense of wonder that Abby gets later on when she sees pixies for the first time or mushroom houses. I don't know. I'm just coming up with stuff off the top of my head. I don't know what's on the island. but. We want to be surprised with Abby. And Carrie doesn't want to just give it all away all at once. Okay. So I, I see the intention behind that. Fair enough. Look I... at us getting into the nitty gritty of, <laughs> of narrative structure. Being all analysts and stuff. So, I mean, ultimately, I guess we'll find out next chapter if we get some. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll need to read up on that in time for next week. That'll be chapter three. Um, in the meantime, you know, Harris Lang has a lot of money, probably deals with a bunch of banks. And some of those banks are probably big, faceless corporations that don't necessarily have great customer service. If you're looking for a bank that might be a little more helpful to you, um, you might consider checking out Connect First Credit Union, and they have a little ad right now. Do you ever feel like just a number? A digit? A denominator? A decimal? Another cog in the big bank machine? Waiting on hold? Online? Never on time? And always on your dime? Like your worth is only calculated by your net worth. In a world full of numbers, it's nice to know there's a place where you're not one. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. Connect First Credit Union. 
Hooray! New sponsor to the network. Cool. Don't know much about them. Check them out. You can check out more about them and the other sponsors right now at the Alberta Podcast Network website. That's albertapodcastnetwork.com. Super obvious. There's a lot of other podcasts there worth checking out. You can probably find them on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. That's probably where you're catching our pod. Yeah, probably. You could give us a little rating and review. Oh, we would like that. Yeah. You could also reach out to us on social media. Absolutely. We are on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads, because we bookish. We're at the read along on most of those. Yes, you can also send us an email. Yes, we are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For the record, she failed that. that- Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.